Hey, folks. Big news out of the Supreme Court this week. In a much-anticipated decision, the Affordable Care Act survived yet another challenge when seven justices found that the parties in the case did not have standing to bring the lawsuit in the first place. Meanwhile, the court unanimously ruled that the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment permits a Catholic social services agency in Philadelphia to refuse to work with same-sex couples who want to foster children. In other news, all eyes are in Minneapolis this week as Derek Chauvin awaits his sentencing for murdering George Floyd. And the Department of Justice reversed Trump-era immigration policies that severely limited asylum seekers who are victims of gang and domestic violence. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, use the code Joyce for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. It's Supreme Court season. It is, and they leave all the big ones to the end. So we're right in that point in time where we're going to get major decision after major decision. Yeah. So the first one we should talk about is the Affordable Care Act case, as everyone refers to it, the ACA case, formal caption, California v. Texas. And maybe we should remind people the background, and I'll spit it out. And Joyce will correct me uh, when I make errors. Okay. See, the Affordable Care Act was a health care act passed when Barack Obama was president. Many Republicans do not like it, and they have been trying to gut it for a long time. They tried at one point to say the mandate and the penalty relating to the mandate rendered it unconstitutional, and you can't do that. That went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court held a few years ago that you can do that because Congress has the power of taxation. And in effect, the penalty up to about $695 for not obeying the mandate was was a taxing power by Congress. So no luck. The ACA stands. Then Congress went back and basically got rid of the penalty from 695 to zero, zeroed out the penalty. And then cases were brought, including the one we're talking about now, where the suggestion is, well, Congress can no longer justify the passage of the ACA under its taxing authority because there's no more penalty. So we zeroed it out. And now what is the authority to do that? And the Supreme Court, I'll give the basic holding, uh, did not decide necessarily on the merits, but on this issue that we've talked about on the show before, people may remember, standing. Do the individuals and the states who brought suit have standing to argue that the ACA should be thrown out or that it's unconstitutional in any particular way. And then just quickly, what does standing mean? Well, the Supreme Court has said a plaintiff must have suffered an injury in fact, right? An injury that's legally protected interest, that's particularized and concrete. There must be a causal connection between the injury and the conduct. And it has to be likely rather than speculative. And basically the court said, hey, there's there's no injury, there's no harm because there's no penalty anymore. Does that make sense or is that circular logic? It is a little bit circular. You know, you try to trace that one down and figure if anybody could have ever won this case. And the answer is no. Nobody could have won on that theory. Let's talk about the split. This was not a close case. No, it wasn't. 7-2. And it's Breyer's opinion. And the people who line up with him, it's, it's relatively interesting. It's Roberts, Thomas, Sotomayor, Kagan, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. 
And then Alito and Gorsuch are all by themselves in dissent. So that's uh, not the usual lineup that we expect to see. Wait a minute. Did you say, Joyce, did you say Amy Coney Barrett voted with the majority? I did. To uphold the ACA, or at least not to reject the ACA. Now, isn't it the case that you and I and lots and lots of other people back during her confirmation process said, and senators as well on the Democratic side, said she was a guaranteed vote the other way on this case? I feel certain that at some point I would have said that she would get the ACA. And and so I was wrong. Were you just reading the talking points from the Democratic National Committee? I really wasn't. I was actually looking at some some stuff that she had written previously. And it was clear that she had a lot of animosity, not in the personal sense, but in the legal sense towards Obamacare. And I, I felt certain that the Democratic Party's talking points were, in this case, correct. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously, but you know, you know, I've been talking for the last few days about this. Look, there was a considered effort, and I think in, in my case it was good faith, but I was wrong, prediction that Amy Coney Barrett was going to go the other way. And in part, that was based on a criticism she lodged against Chief Justice Roberts on the prior case in the Supreme Court relating to the ACA that we talked about. It shows a couple of things, I, I think, and it's good to you know admit error and think about how you analyze things, so maybe you analyze them better in the future. One is that, you know, there was a lot of anger, um, I felt it myself, about even the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. On the eve of an election, when Merrick Garland was denied a hearing and a vote much, much earlier in the election cycle, some years before, and there was this view that Justice Ginsburg was a huge loss to the liberal side and to the court and to the country generally, and Amy Coney Barrett had no business being put forward and voted on in that time frame. And so every argument in favor of rejecting her nomination was made and maybe was made you know, more stridently than the facts warranted. And then the other thing is, you know, people get caught up in, and tell me what you think about this, the nature of the case, what the case is about, the case is about the ACA. And you said a moment ago, uh, and, and I echo this, that she and others have shown hostility to the act. But the case here does not turn on whether or not the act is liked or not liked or efficacious policy or not. It ended up turning on a fairly sort of narrow legal point. And sometimes justices, whatever their hostility to something is, will actually stick to the legal points, right? I think that's right. You know, this is just this very narrow point has nothing to do with the the substance of whether the Affordable Care Act is constitutional. I will confess, Preet, that there is probably a very small, petty part of me that wonders if she looked at the vote on this case and thought, well, if if I vote against Obamacare, it'll still be 6-3 without me. So maybe I'll mess with the people who criticized me. But I don't think that that's really it. I think that's petty on my part. And it's far more likely that it's the technical legal arguments here that she went for. But do you know who else got this wrong when it came to Amy Coney Barrett? Do you remember who else got it wrong? I feel like you put me on the spot now. I did sort of put you on the spot. It was it was President Trump who at the time. Oh, yes. Right? No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Look, yes. Yes, no, go ahead, and then I have a comment. I mean, he, he at that point in time, um, said, if I win the presidency, my judicial appointments will do the right thing. Unlike Bush's appointee Roberts on Obamacare, he tweeted that before he was elected, and he was on record as saying that he would only uh, put justices on the court who passed his litmus test, but she sort of flunked it here. Yeah, so in defense of ourselves, 
You're right. You're very smart. I'd forgotten about that. When the president who's nominating the judge himself is telegraphing, signaling, advising that his nominee is going to do the right thing, and in particular the ACA case, you're kind of hard-pressed if you're on the other side of the debate to not take that statement at face value. And that's another reason, in addition to the others, why people were predicting doom on this ACA case. So, you know, I guess <laughs> I, I guess I guess that's right. You pointed out before the interesting nature of the votes and how they were spread on this case. Ordinarily, when you hear a case of 7-2 and the quote-unquote progressive side wins, it's a good bet if you're taking a multiple-choice quiz that the dissenters are Alito and Thomas. Uh, in the old days, maybe you would have been 6-3, Alito, Thomas, and Scalia. But here, the dissenters were Alito and Gorsuch. Thomas concurred with the majority, but on an interesting point, right? I love what he said. In his opinion, he says, although this court has aired twice before in cases involving the Affordable Care Act, it does not air today. But he makes this very narrow point, at least in part, um, because Alito is relying pretty heavily on the fact that the states have standing because the Affordable Care Act imposes costly obligations on them, other costs that are associated with the act um, beyond the penalty for the mandate that's now deceased. And Thomas just says, look, the states didn't make these arguments in the lower court. And of course, if you don't make arguments in the lower courts and preserve them for appeal, then you can't make them, especially when you get to the Supreme Court. So Thomas, too, has a hyper-technical read of why, in this case, there should be a loss for the opponents of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, just to amplify what you were saying a second ago, as we were discussing standing, this idea that in order to bring a suit against something, you have to have been harmed in a particular way and show that the government action caused the harm. Otherwise, anybody could sue anybody for anything. So it's an important legal concept. And Alito tries to sort of save the day, as you mentioned, and just want to quote from the opinion, by saying, well, there, there were costs, there were harms, even though the penalty on the mandate was zeroed out. And he says, he's talking about the plaintiffs, quote, offered plenty of evidence that they incur substantial expenses in order to comply with obligations imposed by the ACA, end quote. And, and he also, you know, reasoned if they were to prevail, they wouldn't have to pay those expenses. And so that's harm. And Thomas disagrees, as you said, with his colleague saying, well, you know, you're making that argument, but the plaintiffs didn't make that argument. So out of luck. One of my favorite parts of oral argument in the Supreme Court is you realize at some point that the justices aren't really as engaged with the lawyers as they are with each other. And they bat these sort of issues back and forth amongst themselves. So it's interesting to see Thomas take this uh, legally, procedurally principled stand. We should maybe also explain to the non-lawyers out there the caption. Why is it California v. Texas? Why isn't it United States v. Texas? What is California doing in this case at all? It's such a good question. This happens no matter whether the president is a Democrat or a Republican. But in this case, the state of California didn't believe that the Trump administration would defend the Affordable Care Act in this case. So they asked the court for permission to intervene, in essence, to substitute themselves for the United States and become the party that would defend the Affordable Care Act. I had this same experience in an Alabama case where I was local counsel for the New York Attorney General and some other uh, parties. And in that case, the census count was challenged 
by the state of Alabama and by Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks, who's been in the news a little bit over January 6th, they did not want the Commerce Department to include people who were not citizens in the census count, so they sued. Believing that the Trump administration would not defend the constitutional read of the census, which requires that all people be counted, we intervened. We asked the court for permission to defend the constitutional, the textual reading of the requirements for the census. And the court permitted us to intervene, much to the chagrin of the Justice Department at the time. And so this is this process where when an administration fails to adequately defend to the taste of one or more parties, an existing statute, they are permitted to substitute in by leave of court. So, you know, Joyce, as you and I were discussing before we started taping, now that the standing argument has become front and center, and these individuals and these states cannot, according to a majority of the court, allege a particularized harm or injury and therefore lack standing, are we done with effective challenges to the ACA? Because who could have standing now? I think at least as far as the mandate goes, we're done with successful challenges. But look, Obamacare has become not just a a great hated um, law, it's also become a fundraising opportunity for Republicans. So I expect we'll see other challenges. Whether there'll be anything beyond frivolous, I think that's unlikely. Can I ask this question? (laughs) Let's bring this on you. In, In light of our earlier conversation about how we were wrong about the ACA and how Amy Coney Barrett would vote, and we've described the reasons why, in good faith, we were incorrect, it happens. Do you want to amend any of your other predictions about the court, up to and including Roe v. Wade? I always caveat my predictions by saying that my crystal ball isn't very good, but I'll just say I'm deeply concerned about Roe versus Wade, always less because of an outright reversal, which I think is tough to do, given the law on reversing precedent. My concern is about eroding it to the point where it no longer has any force. So that's the prediction I'll stand by. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. But I think, look, everyone needs to be careful when they make predictions about the Supreme Court and the basis on which they will rule and what the divisions will be. Although, you know, there's still a a decent amount of predictability and we'll see what happens in some of these other cases. Do you want to talk about another case? I do. There's so many to choose from. So this is a case, maybe you can describe it, Joyce. Fulton v. Philadelphia that came down last week as well and that pitted LGBTQ rights against religious freedom, the case in which the city of Philadelphia refused to contract with a Catholic foster agency that would not allow... Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time... Use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.